Greetings. This is Abel Enzo of the Iron Realm Podcast, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 33 begins with the companions making their way to Brannon and an establishment called the Spinner's Wheel. Here, they do their best to forget their grief over coal, each in their own way, through drink and revelry, and even through study. It's uncertain how exactly they'll proceed from here. Everyone has revenge on their mind, but they're not quite ready to go back to Silmoral just yet. Catsbane, in particular, has reservations. He has suspected it for some time, and now he is sure. There are demonic forces at large in Camertine. The episode ends with Carrick Malmar going through a kind of war within himself, the Archmage is battling a demon that has latched onto his mind, and perhaps even his soul. Unable to exercise it, Carrick decides to take his own life and destroy them both. He does this through self-fenestration, plummeting to the rocks at the base of the white stone cliffs. The plan fails, and he only succeeds in killing himself. When his broken body rises, it belongs only to Azorazul. Chapter 34, Part 1, Day 109, Afternoon, Party Status, Yellowfly, 17 of 26 hit points, Shawnee, 9 of 19, Catsbane, 12 of 12, Spells Available, There Are No Spells Available. While something terrible had begun just one day's ride to the north, the companions, unaware, were focused on their own troubles. Only Catsbane had any inkling of what was really going on. And then, and then it just flew off before I could get a second look. I don't care about your blue-eyed crows, or your three-legged frogs, or whatever else haunts your dreams, Catsbane. And just listening to you gives me a headache. Look, I doubt you not. That warlock was in league with devils. Don't most of your kind deal with spirits and such? I'm no warlock, Yellowfly. You know that. I, I belong to the... Aye, oh, yeah, aye, fine. But you've told us you speak with things from other worlds, that thing on your forehead by way of example. Hmm? Have you never drawn power from an evil being before? Feeling suddenly uncomfortable given recent developments, Catsbane could not deny that he had, though Yellowfly was wrong about the being he referred to. He allowed the other man to close the subject. When we get back, you might visit that church library again, I suppose. Do as you please, Catsbane. Jace, nearby, was only half listening to their conversation but he perked up at the mention of their return to Silmoral. Mm, we should leave today. I'm with you. 
if you need help in getting justice at the Windy. They cost me several good friends. We're not going back today, nor tomorrow. I'm still not fully healed, and neither are you. And don't tell me you haven't noticed Shawnee's wounds. The rogue was the worst off of them. Although she tried to hide it, they could see that she moved stiffly and with pain. Catsbane had made and applied bandages for her that morning, taking care of her much as he had back in Domor. Jace seemed disappointed, but said nothing. Yellowfly noticed his expression. You don't answer to me, Jace. Go on ahead if you wish. Though, if you asked what I wanted, I would wish that you stay and travel with us. Jace's face was lit up by the briefest of smiles. Then his face went dark again. I'm not sure what I'll do when we return. My whole crew. Everyone's gone. Uh, perhaps that's something you and I can discuss today. Hmm? In private, later on. Yellowfly did not elaborate. Instead, he said, Right now, I need to go and speak to Keat. I've remembered something from that cipher we found under the sawmill. Shawnee and Catsbane exchanged quizzical looks. There was a name on it that we didn't know, but Keat might. He's the right one to ask, I think. He'd know if there was a petty lord in Brannon by the name of Skelling. Also, I haven't paid our room fee yet, and his wife will have her small clothes in a knot about it by now. Yellowfly left their room to find Keat's wife downstairs. She was always around, and busy with the cleaning and general maintenance of their business. When asked where her husband was, she grumbled that he'd only just gotten out of bed, but that she sent him out back to split firewood. Yellowfly paid her three gold pieces for the previous night, and the next two. He would not accept when she tried, not very hard, to insist he take three silver bits in change. Out back, he found Keat working on a half-quart of firewood. Judging by the jug of cider he had cooling in the snow and his lack of progress, he planned to take his time with the task. Yellowfly took the axe from him and split a few logs, allowing his friend to take a break. The physical labor in the cold air felt good and cleared his head. After a while, he asked the innkeeper if he knew anyone in town called Lord Skelling. Keat took a long pull from his cider jug and considered. Lord Skelling is an NPC that I used in Season 1. He's probably not been seen much in the last 20 years, and he doesn't live in Brannon. He lives in Burke, which is almost three days by horse to the south, and marks the very southern limit of Camertine's borders. It's not a given that Keat would have heard of him. Another noble would, but an innkeeper who was born in Brannon and probably never left town? Hmm. The more I think about it, the less likely it seems. I'll give it a one in six chance. In a way, this is a very important role, because if Keat does know who Lord Skelling is, and if the party chooses to investigate further, it'll take the story in a new and wildly different direction. Okay, let's find out. Rolling a d6. If I roll a 1, that will indicate Heat does know. The roll. A 4. Heat simply shrugs, smiles, and takes another drink, allowing Yellowfly to continue splitting logs for him. Later on in the day, after a few hours of hard labor in the cold has cleared his head, Yellowfly takes Jace on a walk so they can have a private talk. You probably know what they're going to discuss. With the tragic death of Cole and the elimination of Jace's entire crew, it might make sense for them to continue working together. From a game standpoint, an extra PC would be nice, but the situation is not as simple as answering the question, do I want Jace to become a player character? The reason for that is, Jace is not voiced by me. Actors usually volunteer to contribute their time and talents to the show for a cameo appearance, or with the understanding that the commitment is a short run of episodes. Asking for more feels like it would be in poor taste. 
When that does happen, like with Catsbane, for example, there's a conversation that has happened well in advance. So, DM Fiat, or even rolling the dice to determine if Jace would join the PCs, isn't going to work. But how about this? I'll use the real situation as the mechanic. What I mean is, I'll ask the actor who voices Jace if he wants to become a permanent member of the cast. If he says yes, Jace says yes. If he politely declines, Jace politely declines. Using real life to determine the plot of an RPG is kind of weird, true, but I also kind of like it. It's randomness, served just a little bit differently. Hang on while I email the actor. Okay, email sent and received, and I've got my answer. Do you enjoy old school RPGs? Do you love stories of sword and sorcery? Are you tired of the typical actual plays and long, unedited podcasts? Then look no further than Legends from the Fireside, a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast. A podcast filled with tales of adventure and heroism, all at the mercy of the roll of the dice. There's no telling where the story will go and where we will end up. No life is sacred, and no one's survival is guaranteed. You can find the show on all major podcast platforms, and we hope you enjoy Legends from the Fireside. Chapter 34, Part 2 Day 109, Afternoon. <laughs> Briar Patches, the King's Harlequin, was juggling three eggs and riddling for His Majesty's entertainment. Culfrey had a soft spot for the fool, perhaps because he had no true friends, and at least his jester did not simper and mule in his presence the way others did. The other nobles, and even his own family, avoided the King's company, so Culfrey often called Briar to his solar. Today they were not in the solar, but the throne room. Culfrey was taking a long break between petitioners, most of whom were merchants, squabbling over their contracts, and exceptionally dreary. What can you put in a bucket to make it weigh less? <laughs> Go on, tell us, replied Culfrey, already smiling. A hole, you fool! <laughs> Chirped the jester, flinging one of his eggs higher and then pretending a near miss. His big brown eyes and the huge gap between his teeth made him look strangely infantile, though he was well into his forties. No more fool than you, Briar, replied Culfrey. He removed his crown and scratched his forehead before replacing the golden jeweled band. Briar capered across the green carpet runner that led up the dais to the double throne. The queen's seat, as usual, was unoccupied. Her majesty was seldom ever seen in the throne room. What has a bottom at the top? Briar's three-peaked cap and bells jingled merrily with the jester's constant movements. We think we've heard this one before, said Colfrey. He was getting bored. Go on, then. The answer is, of course, your majesty's legs! <laughs> legs, oh, oh my. Colfrey chuckled mildly, more at Briar's deliberately stupid laughter than at the joke. <laughs> Aren't you a clever egg, hmm? Why do we still find your... Poor japes amusing. One more, Briar. Then we must invite the dullards back in. Briar bowed so low he could have kissed the carpet. 
Somehow, the trio of eggs remained aloft while he genuflected. He rose and danced to the side, off the green strip of the runner and onto the stone floor. Oh, yes, your highness. Right away, your highness. He said with mock obsequiousness. Oh, I know, said Briar, as though the idea had only just occurred to him. Let's have a wager. <laughs> a wager? Just so. It would be amusing. You'll see. Come, Briar, we really must get back to work. Oh, it would be quick, I promise. Briar gambled and capered back and forth, ever juggling his three eggs. If I can drop one of my raw eggs from a height onto the stone floor without cracking it, then I win. Impossible, scoffed Colfrey. Good, then we have a challenge. Now, the stakes. If I win, I may call you a fool. (laughs) And if we should win... And then you may call me a fool. Well, that hardly seems fair, as you are a fool already. Then you may call me king. Ready? Here's the toss. Briar launched one egg high into the air, spun about, and caught the other two. Then he spread his arms to the sides and bowed in one fluid motion. A moment later, the third egg hit the flagstone floor with a predictable wet crunch. As the yolk ran into the crevices between the stones, Briar looked up and wearing a comically smug expression on his face, declared, There, I have won. (laughs) We think not, said Colfrey, looking at the smashed remains of the egg on the floor. I am, and I have, and it's clear to see. I have dropped the egg on the floor without cracking it, not even a little. What's your game, Briar? Are you blind as well as foolish? (laughs) Look here. I've won! I have, and it is plain as the nose on your face. The floor has not cracked at all. You fool, thinking you could crack stone with an egg. (laughs) While Briar snickered and tisked, Colfrey rolled his eyes, but he laughed in spite of himself. (laughs) Presently, the door opened and a stooped figure entered the room. At first, Colfrey thought it must be some noble, bowing low, or an elder person with a curved spine. But it was neither of these. Carrick? Where the devil have you been? And what's wrong with your neck? The mage's robes were wet and torn. His movements were unnatural. He did not look up, nor did he reply. He simply walked with lurching, jerky steps across the room towards a door on the opposite side. Archmages, attend us, sputtered Colfrey, indignant. All the good humor had drained from his face, and now his features were dark. Stop this instant! Briar backed away, accidentally stepping in the broken egg. Little shell bits crunched under his curly-toed slipper. Carrick stopped and turned. Colfrey now saw that the mage's lolling head was covered in blood on one side, and his usually wispy white hair was plastered to his skull under the hood. Carrick, explain yourself! demanded the king, with more ire than compassion. King of Fools, came the voice that was not Carrick's. As he spoke, he raised his hand, and a cloud of sickly green vapors materialized around Colfrey's head. At first, nothing seemed to happen. Then, Colfrey blinked hard, shook his head, and sat down on the edge of the dais's step. His jaw fell open, and a thin stream of spit dripped from his lower lip onto his chin. His eyes opened wide, but they seemed blank and unfocused. Briar backed away a bit further. His usually goofy face was now drawn and severe. 
the edges of his mouth were widening in fear, and when Carrick addressed him, he shuddered. Take the crown. Briar obeyed without hesitation. He plucked the crown from Colfrey's head with hands that shook. Give him your cap. He did as he was told. Good. Carrick turned and limped the rest of the way across the throne room, leaving Briar behind with Colfrey, who now sat with a pendulum of spittle dangling from his mouth. The king was smiling like an idiot. <laughs> he began to laugh. <laughs> it was the worst sound Briar Patches had ever heard. <laughs> Things look pretty grim in Whitestone Castle, but to the south, in Brannon, the companions have gotten some good news. Jace has agreed to join their crew. In game terms, Jace is making the transition from NPC to PC. Funny, the longer I do this show, the more I wonder if there's really any meaningful distinction. Well, anyway, game philosophy aside, what that means right now is that I need to roll up his stats. All we really know about Jace coming into this process is that he's a level 2 fighter and that he has a lot of hit points, that his father was an ironmonger, and that he has been described as responsible by his erstwhile teammates. Let's get 3d6 ready and roll up his stats. I'll only interfere with the rolls if they force a serious retcon of the character. Otherwise, it's 3d6 down the line, re-rolling on a 5 or less. Strength. A 9. Intelligence. 8. Okay, so he can't read. Wisdom. 11. So far, so good. Dexterity. 12. Constitution. Huh, 13. Interesting. This will retroactively affect his hit points. Charisma. 11. Well, that all makes sense. The strength of 9 seems a bit low, but not especially so. Working in a smithy and being a fighter does not necessarily mean Jace would have an above-average strength. I'm not going to change a thing. These scores make good sense to me, so they stand. His already impressive max hit point score of 16 jumps to 18 with that constitution bonus. That's not the only increase we're going to see, either, because the move to PC means that Jace will level up right now. For level 3, he gets new hit points and potential stat increases. Rolling a d8 for new HP. <laughs> Wowza, I got a 7. Plus 1 makes his new total 26. I think he'll be able to fight alongside Yellowfly just fine with a score like that. How about stat increases? I won't reroll for his previously gained level. We'll just start from here. Strength. 3. Intelligence. 5. Wisdom. A 3. How about dexterity? A 2. Constitution. A 2. I wasn't going to get lucky there again. Charisma. A 6. Ah, cool. He got one. 11 becomes 12, and we are essentially done. I might mention that Jace wears the chain hauberk taken from one of Suro's dead bodyguards, giving him an AC of 14 until he can get a shield. He fights with a short bow, also taken from a dead bodyguard, and a longsword. You know, I realized the other day I've been delinquent in updating my blog, at least in terms of character sheets and stuff like that, so I promise to post a full array after this episode goes live. Stats and inventory for all characters as they stand right now in episode 34. Check it out if you'd like to see the numbers behind the story. And I'll try and update it a little bit more regularly going forward. Chapter 34 Part 3 Day 111 Evening 
Party status. Yellowfly. 21 of 26 hit points after natural healing. Shawnee. 12 of 19. Catsbane. 12 of 12. Jace. 26 of 26. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized magic missile, read languages, mirror image, and invisibility. Although the sun had not set when they arrived back in Solmoral, the city gates were already shut and Yellowfly had to bribe the guards to let them in. It had cost double what he had expected to pay, fully four gold pieces, two to each of the grim-faced men in their plate mail armor with the red sashes across the breastplate. After the money changed hands, one of the guards, an ugly man with pockmarked skin and a patchy beard, turned the key and opened the sortie gate. The companions, who had been waiting a little distance away, approached and passed through. Once the gate was behind them, Yellowfly addressed his companions. Uh, that ugly one gave me a tip, said to get indoors and stay in until morning. Streets are bad at night the last couple of days. And then, in response to his companions' questioning faces, he added, Trouble at the castle of some kind. What kind of trouble? asked Shanae. Well, he didn't say. Just that the Cernan gate's closed. Has been for the last two days. Not a soul has gone in or out. It's the source of much rumor, apparently. Not our concern, said Shanae. Precisely. I don't give a rat's fart about what goes on behind those walls, but I am concerned about the other part. If there's been more crime in the last few days, well, that's something we should try to learn more about. Anyway, those questions can wait until tomorrow. The quartet were making their way towards the Warrens. Somewhere ahead, and deeper into the darkening sprawl of the city, the bells of Vesaluna's Cathedral rang, signaling the start of evening prayer. To the west, the blood-colored ball of the sun was sinking below the black silhouetted line of the city walls. I should be glad when it's done, said Catsbane, pulling up his hood. I'll be glad when they're dead, replied Yellowfly, without looking back. He was walking ahead of the rest of them by a few paces now, with Shawnee behind him and Catsbane and Jace in the rear. What I mean is, I should be glad to go home and sleep in my own bed again. His tone changed when he realized, Oh, Jace, I suppose you'll be rooming with me now. While Yellowfly did not respond, Shawnee did look back over her shoulder. At first, Catsbane took her expression with the way her eyebrows slanted down at the sides as compassion, until she said, You know we can't go back there, right? Not ever. It hadn't even occurred to him, but as soon as she said it, he realized it was true. He felt somewhat naive for not having come to the same conclusion on his own. Oh, oh yes, of course. We sent easily there. Shawnee nodded. Right. So now the Winks know where we live. They'll be watching it. Or have trapped it. Or both. They walked in silence for a few moments before the wizard ventured. Uh, I, I suppose all our personal things... Gone. You'll never see them again. Like Catsbane, it didn't occur to me right away that the PC's base of operations was compromised. Of course they can't go back there, and of course the Weeping Eye will have ransacked it days ago. It's extremely likely that the place will be both watched and, somehow, trapped. Given all that, I was trying to decide how much of their money the PCs would carry on them at any given time. By my calculations, and if my notes are good, the party had one platinum piece, 222 gold pieces, and 24 silver when they left the city. That's quite a bit to carry, even spread amongst them, as it's reasonable to assume they'd do. I'm going to say they can keep half. I'll also give them that platinum piece as a freebie. After their expenses in Brannon, and after bribing the guards at the Solmoral Gates, the final total remaining to them is 1 platinum, 111 gold, and 12 silver. 
Their other possessions, including a few extra weapons and extra sets of leather armor, along with other sundry items, are almost certainly gone. I say almost certainly because we'll never really know unless the PCs try to go back to their apartments for some reason. One more thing. While we're away from the action for a few minutes, I need to make a roll. The group is getting closer to the wind of the cliffs, and we can imagine what they plan to do when they get there. But will anybody even be there? It's unlikely that Suro the Mad, even if he's in Silmoral, would have tipped off his contacts about the possibility of Yellowfly's gang surviving the ambush and returning. All he knows is that nobody came back. I'm sure he'll be very watchful, maybe even paranoid, but I think it's unlikely he would reach out with such a vague warning to his contacts. Let's make it random. I'll say there's a 1 in 3 chance that Suro returned to the city and warned anybody about potential survivors. That number might be a little high, but it does keep things interesting. Okay, on a d6, a 1 to 2 means that Easley and Janelle have been warned. A 3 to 6 means that they assume Yellowfly's gang is dead. Here's the roll. Uh-huh. Alright then. In the twilight, the wind of the cliffs had a lonesome look. Its roof of thatch and pitch was still bowed and drooped in the middle like a hammock. There was no light visible behind the shuttered upper floor windows, and the place seemed deserted, at least until they saw a little plume of smoke coming out of the same chimney they had helped to clean. Yellowfly pulled into a nearby alley, and when the others joined him, he addressed them in a low voice. Exactly as we planned now, and no mistakes. They're simple folk, but they're not stupid. They might even be ready for us. Jace, you're one of us now, understand? He paused. Catsbane, you're sure you can manage this thing? The young wizard nodded. All right then, let's go and get our vengeance. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help to support it, there are lots of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum world-building tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone for their support of the show. I'd like to share one of your kind reviews right now, and this one is on the Podcast Addict app. It was posted by PunkRNDad. Punk RN Dad writes, Best OSR actual play. I prefer BX-style D&D myself. I tire of the way 5e podcasts continually drag me between combat and whatever story agenda the DM has. No old-school actual play podcasts seem willing to edit out table talk and ho-hum slog. This podcast is the perfect solution to my conundrum. Great audio and editing. Excellent use of random old-school mechanics to develop an ongoing story arc. Thank you for your hard work. And thank you very, very much, Punk RN Dad. Like you, I can't quite make 5e work for me. The beauty of BX is how it makes space for the story to develop on its own. I also appreciate that you notice the editing that goes into the show. It's a time-consuming job, so it's nice to get positive feedback about that. Allow me also to thank my excellent cast of voice talent. I've got three returning actors and one newcomer today. Voicing Catsbane and Jace are regulars, Kyellen and Kevin Berenger find Kyellen on SoundCloud, Spotify, Bandcamp, and other music stores. Kevin is a game designer at Tumbledye Games. Find him at kbearcreation.com. King Colfrey is played once again by David Cooper. Find David on socials as at that Dave Cooper and see him in the Netflix movie The Curse of Bridge Hollow and PBC on YouTube. 
Finally, I'd like to introduce J. Brandon Payne in the role of Briar Patches, the Jester, and what a remarkable performance this was, too. When asked how he'd like to be named in the credits, J. asked me to share his email address so other creators could get in touch with him to voice different characters. Here it is, jbpayne at gmail.com. That's J-B-P-A-I-N-E. Highly, highly recommend J. for voiceover work. His talent speaks for itself. If listeners would like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. We're going to give it another go. It's a bit, a bit more, of a bit more zing, oh, a bit of zing. A bit zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello. Hello. With a hello. No, no. Hello. No, hello. No, wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Ready? Wait till. Hello. With a billowing hilltop. Hello. Hello. Oh dear. <laughs> wait to get through the whole thing. No, no. I mean, I thought I that was the whole thing. The whole thing is hello with a billowing hilltop. Okay. That's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That was right. <laughs> Uh, that pretty much sums up the show, but if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.belowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. I don't know. And, yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon, is it 5th edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We played Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. What was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we played Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, The Age of Worms. You can expect this. Oh! Quite a bit of this. Um, I'm completely lost. This. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much.